highest symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Stan Hansen, tonight in the Egg Dome, Axie Pumba! Hey now, welcome to the 24-inch podcast. My name is Steve Bennett. Later in the show, Paula Bennett will join us. Uh, but with me right off the top, as always, uh, my friend down in New Jersey, uh, where I was able to spend some time earlier in the month. And if you want to hear all about that trip, you can check out our last episode. But he's down, hold it down the fort. Uh, in Sopranos Town, USA. Uh, let's bring him in. Hollywood Dave Rollins. What's up, Dave? How you doing tonight? How you doing, Steve? I'm doing very good down here in 81 degree Sopranos Town, Kearney, New Jersey on October the 14th. Well, it hit 81 today. Uh, right now it's about 76, I think, still. A little rough for this time of year. Got yeah. my air on right now while we're doing this show. It was the warmest first 13 days in October Ever in Buffalo, whatever that Gotta means. Gotta be. Yeah. Gotta be. See, but that's a setup here because that just means the lake is staying warm. And when the lake stays warm and it gets cold, then the cold air goes over the warm lake and we get 10 feet of snow. So, oh, boy. It's not good. The The quicker so, it gets cool, the better here. So It's like a sneak attack a little bit. It is, yeah. People, people forget about it when they're enjoying the Indian summer. Uh, but yep. me, it's Indian summer, and I hate the heat. You know, I got a backstreet lover on a passenger seat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Pearl Harbor job. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. All right, uh, what are we doing today, Dave? Why don't you let the people know? All right, today we're going to do something a little different, a little fresh, a little new. We're going to be taking a look at one of the great Coliseum home videos uh, by the WWF and Coliseum Video. It's part of the Hulkamania collection, which was, you know, a take just... Uh, surround, you know, just about the career of Hulk Hogan, what was going on around the time of him. And there's numerous ones. This is the last one out of six. Hulkamania number six. We're going to be taking a look at the whole tape, but we're really going to be taking a really bird's eye view of his match with none other than Stan the Lariat Hansen from the Tokyo, Japan, Tokyo Dome in April of 1990. Now, this is a request, right? This is a request by Kevin F-U-C-K and Hogan. Kevin Hogan, thank you for the request. Now, the Hulkamania series, I used to rent this a lot as a kid, especially Hulkamania 2. Uh, the, the best one. The, I agree. The Wegmans by me uh, had the Hulkamania 2, and the case was just mesmerizing. The um, I always said that the WrestleMania 2 and the Hulkamania 2 Coliseum Home Video cases aesthetically were so pleasing that if they were ended up in my hand, they walked out the door with me. Yeah. Because this the art was so, the colors, and it just looked so inviting. And I always ended up running them. So I probably rented Hulkamania 2 
and WrestleMania 2 more than I would have just because of how much I love the the box art. And I love Coliseum Home Video. I think I might have told the story before on the show. My mom and I would go shopping at Wegmans, and I would go to one or two places, the magazine rack or the rental room. Uh, and usually I would do both, but, you know, wherever I'd go first. And the whole point was wrestling. I would go for the wrestling magazines or go for the wrestling tapes, and I would always end up renting one, usually every time. Um, and they had a really good selection there, and they were all together in the one area, and I would have them lined up on the floor and have the backs flipped up and looking at matches, oh, yeah. and it was always a big decision. My mom could spend an hour in the grocery store, check out, and still be like waiting for me to decide what Coliseum Home Video I wanted to rent because there was just so many options. Yeah, brother. Same here, man. I uh, The first one I ever rented, you know, like, like I always tell you, I got into wrestling in the summer of 86. So this is around that time. And me and Uncle Tito were in Pathmark in Belleville, New Jersey. And it was a real big Pathmark. Still there. I don't have to shop right now. I'm sorry. But um, they had uh, the first one I rented was the Wrestling Classic because it was Hogan and Piper on there against each other, the big tournament. So that was, that was the first one I saw. Then uh, fast forward, I would start first grade in September. And I don't know about how it worked for you guys, but kindergarten, we would do like a half day, like three hours or something. Then all of a sudden, first grade, you're going all day. You're taking your lunch and you're going, you know, 9 a.m. to 3 o'clock. Then on Mondays, I would have to go to CCD, catechism, to me, you know, to get ready to make your communion and all that. So it was a long day. So I was going from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. like out of nowhere. So my mom would feel bad and always take me to the video store every Monday. And I that's how I caught up on, on my wrestling. I caught up on all the stuff I had missed. You know, and from, you know, I, this is the fall of 86. So I caught up everything 84 and 85 were on those tapes, even though the tapes didn't start till 85. You know, they had all the 84 stuff on there. And I remember it was kind of like um, uh, kind of weird when I caught up. And the stuff on the tapes, I basically knew about and kind of saw the stuff they were showing from the garden and stuff like that. So it was kind of, that's kind of uh, you know, a little bit of a, I can't think of the word, but you know. For I whatever reason, them, of I could watch these tapes over and over. Like yeah. It meant nothing to me. Uh, I could watch them so many times. I'm pretty sure WrestleMania 2, I'm almost positive, was the first one I rented. Um, back in the day, I think I told that story. Um, but yeah, I loved running them. And I'm excited to cover this one, and I'm sure we'll cover many more. There's two other things before we get into that, though. Um, we'll do the bio of Stan Hansen. That's that, that's the main event. We'll do that bio. We'll talk a little bit about the Tokyo Dome. Uh, and, of course, we'll read the news. I think we decided we're going to do when the tape came out, which I believe was December Correct. of 91. So we'll do that. That's right after the Survivor Series. And Paul will join us for emails later, all that stuff. But. I want to quickly talk about The Many Saints of Newark, um, the Sopranos movie. You know that we're big Sopranos fans. Dave is in Sopranos Town. Um, and I'll just give a couple comments, Dave, then I'll let you make yours, and then we can see if we go further or not. But I'll just say that I think with The Sopranos in general, um, expectations are the enemy of fun. It's always been that way. You'd wait so long, you know, for season five to come. Wait so long for season six. You know, we waited so long for this movie um, that it builds up to a point where you can't, you can't live up to it. 
Um, but if I'm being honest, it's not great. It's not a great movie at all. It takes way too long for Tony Soprano to be involved. I'm not exactly sure what the point is. It's far too woke. Um, yeah. It's just not. Like, if this is what David Chase is now, I don't need to hear from him again. Um, if this is one of three and just the start and it's going to get better, all right. I'll always give him a chance. Um, but it's not very good. Um, it's not the worst piece of shit ever, but it's not far from it. Um, it's not great. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan, Dave. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at it as a standalone movie, it's, I guess, good, not great. Okay. Kind of like a movie you come home from work and just turn on a TV and start watching it. It's all right. But yeah, it was very disappointing. Some people just like totally hate it from just, people are just haters like we always say here on the 24 inch yeah it's not that but, bad yeah it's not that bad but they kind of have a point this time yeah with the sopranos going back even like in season even starting with season four people the expectations because it would be real long it'd be a year and a half between the seasons at this point exactly and people at the time were like oh it's not that good anymore but now looking back I love every season almost equally yeah actually believe it or not season one's probably my least favorite and I don't know why I might get some hate mail there but um, I love all the seasons. But, you know, we're starting to get some of that, you know, critic thing, season five and season six. So the show's not that good anymore. But now watching it, you know, back in hindsight altogether, everybody loves all of it. But I don't think uh, the same's going to be said for the many Saints of Newark in years to come, unless they really start to make a good trilogy or something along those lines and it gets a lot better. I thought Tony's son, uh, you know, Gandolfini's son, Michael Gandolfini, did a great job. I wanted to see more of him. Like you said, yeah, it took Steve. way too long for Tony Soprano to even be in the movie, and I didn't yeah. like that they pulled the twin thing again. That was they've already done that once. Yeah, and then the race baiting, you know, especially this day and age, you know, you, you got to be. I know in the Nork riots, obviously a lot of that went on, but it wasn't the Italians against the blacks. It was a little bit of that, but it was more of a lot of everything. It's the movie kind of made it just look like the Italian Americans are terrible people and the blacks are great people, while everybody's great people and everybody has. Bad sides and good sides. Uh, I just think it just focused a little too much on that. I know it was about the Nork riots, but the, you know, the Nork riots, you know, I know a lot of people that lived through them, a lot of people around here, you know, it's the next city over for me. And it wasn't, you know, like that. And, you know, it's just the woke age. That's they're going to do that and make people hate each other. What are you going to do? You know, and of just course, gotta, like gotta, the girl, rise above it. The girl sleeps says. with the black guy. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. 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 It's just like, come on. I don't know. Just yeah, 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 yeah. not a huge fan of it. I mean, if we're scoring it out of five stars, it's. I don't but know, I, I mean, one and three quarters. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you got two hours to make a prequel to the Sopranos. And you got that stuff, the sexual, sexual inner, you know, inner rage. There's no time for that in in, in this in this no. movie. You know, we got we, we got more important things to, to be doing. If this was, I think, we're a little more used to uh, like series like Cobra Kai, and I uh, like a show called You on Netflix that's that's coming back for a big big season three uh, this Friday. And we wa- like to we're spoiled. We watch the shows now, binge watch them, bang 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 bang. So if this was a little more like that and you got a little more out of it, saw a little more into these characters, uh, maybe we'd be talk, uh, telling a different story right now. But just in, in those two hours, they packed in the, in the wrong stuff, in my opinion. And it was it almost, almost looked like 
and this is so not me saying something like this. So it must have really been bad. It didn't look like it looked cheaply made almost. It didn't look, you know, you know, definitely not on, on par of the Sopranos. And that's you know, fifteen twenty years ago now. Uh, yeah, disappointing. I, I'm going under if if uh, you know we're gonna do the Melser thing to the movie. I'm going under two stars too. Sorry to half. Yeah, uh, it, it wasn't. It's, it, at first, I was trying everything, pull, pulling it on the phone. My sister watch it down the shore. Call me. We tried to be excited, and you know, I tried making excuses and stuff. And now I'm having a hard time getting through my second or third watch of it. <laughs> you know, I was just like, I want to do something else. So, eh, you know, not great. Something that is great though, Dave, that I wanted to talk about because I think it fits in with the theme of the show, and it's something that we look back to this era all the time. And uh, I wanted to talk about Halloween cereal, Dave. Halloween right. cereal. Cereal that only comes around at Halloween time. And it's the ghosts, right? The booberry. The gimmicks, brother. Yeah, and the uh, Count Chocula, which is my favorite. And then some new arrivals to the scene, which I don't remember as a kid, but maybe they existed. Oh, the wait till you throw it over to me. The chocolate <laughs> frosted flakes with the, the with the marshmallows and the uh, oh okay okay and the Fruit Loop version. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've seen this. And then also they have the mix of all of the ghosts in one Monster Mash. The Monster Mash. Did we have that? I don't remember that. No. Well, the story is I don't know too much about the Fruit Loops or the or the frosted flakes. Those are uh, good. Sorry, though. Those are good. Sorry, uh, sorry, Lee Marshall. I know they're great, but um. Uh, the monster cereals, I'm like a fan of somehow. I don't know how it happened. It happened when I was a kid, when they were around all year long. And I would see on the commercials, it'd be Count Chocolate and Frankenberry. You'd get them in the store, but I would see Booberry, but you couldn't find him anymore. So then, like one day, me and my mom, I was like eight, found Booberry, and it was like the biggest deal in the world. You know, it's almost like finding like a toy, a wrestling figure that you, they can't find one. Greg the Hammer Valentine in a rhythm and blues outfit. It's like that. Like I get, I get obsessed with shit like that. I don't even. I like the cereal, but it was more like the, the hunt to find it. Then there's a funny story. They stopped uh, making Frankenberry, and a bunch of, around here at least, and a bunch of my friends, you know, were drinking up at my cousin Jackie's house in, in the Poconos, Pennsylvania, in uh, God, 1998 or so, 99 maybe, and uh, we found <laughs> Frankenberry in, in the store. We hadn't seen it in you know nine or ten years around here, so it was it was a big. It's kind of like an inside joke, but. I've been Big a fan of the yeah. I've been a fan of the monster cereals in uh, Pulp Fiction. Quentin Tarantino's eating fruit boot, fruit brute while he's watching the Three Stooges. That's a big un, uh, discontinued one. That was the Wolfman, the fruity cereal. They replaced him with the Yummy Mummy. Years later, that's gone too. People are probably listening to this right now because this guy Dave's out of his mind. And yes, you're right. <laughs> the one thing I will say about these cereals is they're not as good as they were in our day. I know that's no. I know that's a thing to say, but um, you know, oh, in my day or whatever. But it's true; these cereals were better back then. They were, they're definitely made differently now. Um, probably to be healthier or cheaper or whatever the case is. Cheaper, but, probably. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a Halloween or non-Halloween cereal that you ate a lot in the '80s? One or two that you wish you could, you know go back and have another box of well yeah uh yummy mummy because that was it was a yeah. mummy and they they brought it back one halloween uh 2013 i think and i don't think i was able to to get a box of it. it whatever i was doing in my life at the time i knew it was back 
but uh, I don't know. I just never got around to it. Fig- figuring that it's back. It's going to be every Halloween. We'll have uh, Yummy Mommy will join the other three along with uh, they brought back Fruit Brute, too. But then um, or maybe I did get it. Maybe I got one. Whatever. I can't remember. But anyway, it was just for 2013. They never they never brought him back. The other two. So, uh, yeah. So Yummy Mommy is uh, is my choice for me. It's Kaboom. Um, I was a Ooh. big fan of Kaboom. And it was another one of those cereals that was not at every grocery store. You know, so when we would be somewhere playing a road game with our groceries or whatever, and we'd be somewhere and they have Kaboom, we always got a couple boxes of it. So everyone I in the th- house I, was a fan of Kaboom. I vaguely remember that one. It's got like a clown on the front. I think it was yeah, okay. General Mills made it, I think. Yeah. yeah uh, how about discontinued remember Rocky Road? Ago. Yep. I don't know if it's a Halloween one, but Rocky Road's on, on some of my wrestling tapes or on the commercials still. I, I remember that. It was like marshmallows and chocolate. Probably terrible for you. It'd probably make me gain 20 pounds at one bowl right now if, it, if I'd they get, brought it back. I'd get sucked into some of the gimmick ones. I love the Nintendo cereal in the black box. Yeah. I, I love the Mr. It, T it was, one. It, Nintendo was Zelda on one side. Yep. And Mario on the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I almost remember. I almost remember the little jingle for it. Nintendo, it's for breakfast. Nintendo, yeah, oh yeah, that came back to me. I think cereal is one of those things that's always going to be better for us than it is for our kids. Everything's uh, lived, better for us than it. Sorry, Paula Mania. True, but we lived in the golden era of cereals. No doubt about it. Golden, the golden, golden era, era of cereals. cereals. All right. Golden era of wrestling. <laughs> golden era of rock and roll. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> They live maybe in the golden era of um, porn being Social available. Media. Well, I'm not going to complain there. You know what I mean? That might be better now. So we used to have to yeah, watch like through the squiggles. We used to watch it, but you used to have to hunt for it. It was a big deal when you got yourself. Yeah, a pair but, of titties. I mean, that's or a pain you got in the yourself. Ass. It's it better. It's better ass, now. But it, but it was. It was. You were more. It's almost getting a little too easy. Yeah, but it ends the same either way. Yeah, well, you got a point. You know, I don't know. I. Yeah, I would. I would. I mean, I'd be up till two thirty in the morning watching Dream On, hoping there'd be a boob in there. Oh yeah, you know yes, I mean? yes, yes. Tales from the Crypt on before it. Yeah, yeah. Or Might what? get a tit or two in there. Mm-hmm. Or you go Dream to the, on. Or you go to the Squiggly Channel and hope sure. to see a squiggled out booby, like sure. it's a Skinamax movie that's on or something. If, if your mom or dad walk in, you're just telling them you're you're trying to watch the WCW yeah, pay per view because they wouldn't let you buy it. TV's broke. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. TV fucking broke. All right, this is what we got to do today. We gonna take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about Stan Hansen and the Tokyo Dome. Dave's gonna let us know where Hulk was in late '91. Uh, Good one this week. Yeah, we're going to do the news. We're gonna talk about Hulk's match with Stan. We'll talk about the whole tape, and uh, then we'll be back with Paula in the last segment for plugs, emails, and an announcement for episode 21 of the 24-inch podcast. But before we can get to that, uh, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Jack. Thank you for listening to the 24-inch podcast. Don't forget to check out my other podcast, The Sportscasters. 10 years in the making you can find it on twitter at sports underscore caster or download episodes wherever you found this podcast you can find the 24 inch podcast on twitter as well we're at the number two the number four the word inch podcast at 24 inch podcast 
email us at 24inchpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget about our friend Peter Winson and greeting from Allentown. It's at GF Allentown Pod. Twenty-four inch podcast back. This is episode twenty, uh, which is crazy. Our twentieth episode, almost time for the one-year anniversary. If you got an idea of what Dave and I should do for the twentieth anniversary, mm. email us two four inch podcast at gmail.com. We're still mulling it over, deciding what we're going to do for for year one. We can't let Dave get too drunk, so no no shot <laughs> games. Like every time we say brother, take a shot. No, for the 20th anniversary. I, I kind of mean more like what match do you think we should cover? <laughs> All right. John Stanley Hansen II, born August 29th, 1949 in Knox City, Texas. Um, still alive, 72 years old. He lives in uh, Waco, Texas. Uh, went to West Texas State University, Dave. He's one of those guys. Sure. That went to West Texas State. There's a whole bunch of them. Tito, right? Tully yep. Blanchard. All those guys. Dusty Rhodes. DiBiase. Yep. Uh, 6'4", 321. He was billed from Borger, Texas. And he was trained by the Funks. Dory, Dory Jr., Terry. Uh, that just sounds tough. Borger, Texas. It does. Right? It sounds one. tougher than Dallas, Texas. Yeah. He uh, was debuted January 1st, 1973. So hopefully he didn't stay out late. On December 31st, 1972. He had a big, big day the next day. Uh, retired January 28th, 2001. <laughs> uh, he made his debut, like I said. Initially, he was a part-time wrestler while playing football for the Detroit Wheels. Uh, one of my all-time favorite teams, the Detroit Wheels. Okay. Yeah, of the World Football League. The World Football League. I think I saw um, a game live here in the Meadowlands, uh, New York, New Jersey Knights. Was that the World Football League? It was a little. Had to be a lot longer after that, though. Could have been. Yeah. Uh, in 75, he teamed with his future partner, Frank Goodish, who later Ooh. adopted the ring name. Bruiser Brody. Bruiser Brody. While competing, or King Kong Brody. While competing in Leroy McGurk's Tri-State Territory. Uh, in 76, he made his debut for the World Wide Wrestling Federation. And only two months after he began competing for the company, he began feuding for the heavyweight championship against the living legend. That's right. Bruno San Martino. Right in time for this weekend, the St. Gerard Feast in Newark, New Jersey. Beautiful. Big Italian feast. Oh, Bruno would be proud. Wish I could be there. Yep. Happy Italian Heritage Month, everyone out there. Yes, sir. Uh, during a title believe- match, Hansen broke San Martino's neck while they were wrestling. And it was from this incident that both Hansen and promoters claimed that San Martino's injury came about from the enormous power of his lariat. However, it was actually a botched power slam uh, that actually caused the injury. Not yeah, the, it was, not a, the that lariat. was a shoot. Yeah. It was a shoot injury. Shoot injury, yeah. After he recovered, San Martino, Hansen faced him for the championship once again at the showdown at Shea. Uh, but he was unsuccessful, so he left the promotion. Uh, but he did return in 1980, rekindling his feud with San Martino after facing Pedro Morales and Andre the Giant. And he later developed a heated feud with then WWF champion. Uh, Pedro, oh no, Bob Backlund. Bob Backlund, which accumulated in a steel cage match at Madison Square Garden. 
Uh, he first started to come to Japan. And yeah, back backlink got fed a lot of great heels. So sure a did. lot of like our era fans don't don't realize it. Like going back, if you go back and, and look at some of that stuff, he really took on a lot of the monsters, a lot of good guys. His reign was the anti Ultimate Warrior title reign. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Hanson first came to New Japan in '77 uh, through the booking of Vince McMahon Senior. With his reputation as the man who broke Bruno's neck, he quickly became a top f- heel facing. Uh, this is where are we now in WWF? We're in Japan. Oh, it's a top feel, top heel based on his reputation of a neck breaker. Well, if it's Japan, it's got to be Antonio Inoki. Exactly. Um, he toured there regularly. He faced top American wrestlers there, like Andre the Giant and Dusty Rhodes, Bob Backlund, Hulk Hogan. And he established himself as a dominant force in Japan by competing in New Japan's MSG tournament between 1978 and 1981. He would win the NWF world title from Inoki on February 8th, 1980, one of the only two wrestlers to dethrone Inoki during his seven-year reign. From November 21st to ni- excuse me, from November 21st to December 13th, 1980. Hansen did a tour for NJPW where he completed the first MSG Tag League tournament, later renamed the G1 Tag League. He, uh, he teamed with Hulk Hogan, but they didn't win. He returned that April to wrestle Inoki in an unsuccessful match. However, he defeated Hansen via countout in an MSG League match in May of 81 after hitting a lariat on Inoki, knocking him after the apron. Um, he also worked for All Japan Wrestling. Uh, in the United States, he spent some time in the AWA. Uh, wrestling. He competed in from eighty five well, to eighty six, and he won the world championship there on December 29, nineteen eighty five, beating the model Rick Martel. That's right. Uh, he no showed a title defense uh, against Nick Bockwinkel due to a disagreement with management. Uh, forcing the AWA to default the title to Bachwinkle. He's got some great. Uh, I've watched some. Maybe it's on the AWA DVD. I mean, you could probably find it on Peacock. Some great promos about uh, uh, when he was fighting Rick Martel because Rick Martel's a pretty boy. Whatever. He's like, I don't need the women chasing me around. I got a big fat wife at home. Hilarious. <laughs> He's like, Just, the... I, I do it no justice, but it's great. An early day <laughs> Borat. There you go. Uh, so this is interesting. The rumors were that Hanson was actually in the building. And when Vern uh, Gagne told him that he was going to lose to Bachwinkle, he called the president of All Japan Pro Wrestling, Giant Baba, to ask if losing the championship was acceptable. But Baba had already lined up challengers for Hanson and did not permit him to drop the championship. In the end, he refused to drop the title to Bachwinkle and was stripped. Uh, Bachwinkle was given one of the tag belts, which was then billed as the AWA Heavyweight Championship due to Hanson still possessing the true title belt. He immediately returned to Japan and defended the AWA Heavyweight Championship despite being stripped of it. The AWA threatened legal action if he continued to carry the belt and referred to himself as the champion. So Hansen responded by running over the belt with his truck and mailing it back with the mud tracks still on it. The chain of events was reviewed in an interview with Hansen at the NWA Legends Convention in which he did respect regret over the way he handled the situation and ultimately complimented the Gagne's. You know, Vern had a lot he had a lot of trouble with the boys, especially the yeah. boys that, that drew money. Uh now 
From 90 to 91, he appeared in the WCW feuding with Les Luger, Lex Luger over the U.S. championship. And on October 27th at Halloween Havoc, he, defe- he defeated Luger, Jesus, to win the title, ending Luger's record-setting reign at how many days? Take a guess, Dave. Oh, days I'm not going to give you, but uh, maybe I'll give you the monster. The, uh, this well, is it's 91. It's listed in days, so give me days, uh, God damn it. Jeez, uh, 287. 523 days. Really? I've never even seen that match, to be honest with you. But then, uh, I know I haven't. Then on December 16th at Starcade, he lost about back to Luger in a bull rope match, which sounds brutal. I might go check some of those out, because yeah. believe it or not, I am I am I'm definitely a fan of Lex the Wrestler. Eh, I'm definitely a fan, a fan of Lex the Person nowadays. Yeah, it could be some good stuff there. Yeah, I like, you know, I like Lex as a, as a wrestler, too. He never really got... Uh, you know, where he needed to be. But hey, that's another story for another day. Right, then in 91, he returned to All Japan Pro Wrestling, which brings us to where we are today uh, for his match against the Hulk. The Immortal. Which is in, Dave, the Tokyo Dome. Or the uh, Scrambled Egg uh, Stadium. Also called the Egg Dome. Uh, it holds between forty-two and 55,000 people for events. Four. 45,600 for baseball. Uh, Parlez-vous scrambled eggs, Grandma. It was opened. It began construction on May 16, 1985, and it opened on March 17, 1988. It was built on the site of the Velodrome, adjacent to the predecessor ballpark. It has the maximum total capacity of 57,000. As I said, and they have an all-seating configuration of 42,000. It was originally nicknamed the Big Egg, with some calling it the Tokyo Big Egg because of the dome-shaped roof and an air-supported structure. Um, It was modeled after the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome, uh, which is no longer with us. It's the home field of the Yomimuri Giants baseball team, and it's hosted, of course, music concerts, basketball, American football, um, pro wrestling, mixed martial arts, all kinds of stuff, which we'll talk about. Um, Tokyo Dome is part of a greater entertainment complex called Tokyo Dome City, built on the grounds of the former Tokyo Arsenal. It includes an amusement park, Tokyo Dome City attractions. The amusement park occupies a former stadium and has a roller coaster named the Thunder Dolphin. And a hubless Ferris wheel, which sounds interesting. Yeah, it does. They also have an onsen called Spa La Croix, uh, various shops, restaurants, video game centers, the largest JRA wins horse race betting complex in Tokyo. Uh, so kind of a cool place overall. Van Halen performed two sold-out shows there on February 1st and 2nd, 1989. Uh, Mick Jagger was the first international act to play the Tokyo Dome on March 22nd and 23rd of 88. Uh, but then Bon Jovi played suit, filed suit playing there on New Year's Eve 1988, welcoming in 1989. Uh, the band has since performed a total of 19 concerts at the Tokyo Dome, most recently in 2010 as part of the Circle Tour. Mariah, you, know, yeah. you know, real quick. Like, I've never been the type of person that wants to see the world and travel. It just doesn't appeal to me. Like, some people, oh, you got to go here, you got to go. I don't care. I mean, I like travel around the United States, whatever. 
it just it, that kind of thing. Seeing the world never, just never appealed to me. But Japan, for some reason, maybe because of the wrestling and the rock and roll over there and the big shows, almost feels like New York City B or something. Like I always, that would be the one place I, I may want to go. Uh, to I, I probably will never do that, but you know, if, you know, if I had to choose, I'm, it might be Tokyo. I am also a domestic traveler. Yeah. Um, I will go to Canada sometimes. I've but, been there. Um, if I was ever to go to a foreign country, that would be Italy, but I'm not going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what else. Mariah Carey sold out three shows there on the Daydream World Tour. That's probably what I would have went to, but I missed it. Yeah, I actually, I actually saw Mariah Carey live on New Year's Eve. So. Uh, Christmas gift for 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 an ex girlfriend. I don't know how that happened, but it did. Superstar Michael Jackson. This is I'm giving this update, especially for our friend out in Elmira here. Uh, Michael Jackson performed 21 concerts during his three solo world tours, more than any other artist. In '88, for his Bad World tour, he performed nine concerts from December 9th to December 26, including a Christmas show, in front of over 400,000 people or 45,000 per show. In 92, for his Dangerous World Tour, he performed eight concerts uh, between December 12th and 31st, including a New Year's Eve show in front of 360,000 or still 45,000 per show. And in 96, for his History World Tour, he did four concerts, still 45,000 per show, and again in December, but no holidays. Wow. That's a shout out to to Fred Nichols, right? Yes, our boy Fred down in Elmira. Loves some Michael Jackson. Uh, U2 ended their Zoo TV tour with concerts there. Uh, Guns N' Roses played three shows there, which were followed by a w- double DVD, Use Your Illusion tour. Right, I... all this stuff, this Michael Jackson stuff, and I know the Use Your Illusion, that's right in our ballpark yeah. for our time, December 91. Absolutely, yeah, this is right there, right, right in this area of time. The heavy metal band X Japan has performed there many times including the last concert with their former bassist on January 7, 1992, and their last concert X- before disbanding in December 31st of 97. Is that X-Japan as in, like, former Japan or, like, extreme the, Japan? The letter X-Japan. Right, that's extreme Japan, then, yeah. I guess. Yeah, uh, 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 Madonna performed at the Tokyo Dome uh, seven times in 93. Sluts. Yep, 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 yep. Britney Spears has played there. Rain, whoever Rain is. Uh, lots of different J-pop bands. Uh, you J-pop. Know, Japanese pop. I yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. familiar. I thought I'd never hear that term again, but here I am hearing it. Taylor Swift performed there. Uh, recently, it's a lot more poppy entertainment than rock and roll entertainment. That's a shame. And then there's, of course, a whole page of professional wrestling at the Tokyo Dome, Tokyo Dome, New Japan Pro Wrestling has held a flag, flagship professional wrestling event at the Tokyo Dome, currently titled Wrestling Kingdom, on January 4th of each year since 1992. The event expanded in 2020 to two nights with the second night on January 5th. The event is the biggest in Japanese professional wrestling and has been compared to WrestleMania. Other companies such as All Japan Pro Wrestling, Pro Wrestling NOAH and WWE have previously done major events in the Tokyo Dome as well. Uh, Mike Tyson fought twice in the Tokyo Dome. Uh, once. We know the big one. We have once an undisputed title of defense against Tony Tubbs in 88. And then the unthinkable loss. One of the biggest upsets in sports history, James Buster Douglas, happened in February of 1990 in the Tokyo Dome, even though 
Mike I Tyson won that fight in the eighth round. I watched that one live. Uh, actually, I remember on HBO. I remember. I remember the people I was with. I remember everything about it. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, as a one of the all-time hose jobs, it doesn't get talked about much because people love the story of Tyson losing. But he won that fight in the eighth round. Go back and watch it. That I, I will. I will check that out. But I was also thinking I, we're on the subject of uh, J-pop. Dave Meltzer was at a big Tokyo Japan slash AEW slash. 2000 star match event and he was arrested outside a j-pop uh concert after the uh the next night that's just that's just what i heard what a dork uh the tokyo dome has held vi- various major league baseball games to open the seasons the first ever was march 29th 2000 the cubs beat the mets five to three um the oakland athletics the seattle mariners have played there the boston red sox um, and the Chicago Cubs. The Yankees played there one time, well, two games uh, in 2004, winning, losing one to the Devil Rays and winning one to the Devil Rays. Huge attendance for those games. Also, there's been NFL football games there. My New Orleans Saints played there on August 1st, 1993, a preseason game that they won over the Philadelphia Eagles. Wow. 28-16. Uh, to 16. Dave, let's see if your Giants have been there. Ooh. They have not. Interesting. Have we just had the Jets, uh, the yearly London game, right, at 10 yeah, o'clock in the, the morning. It's actually up this week. The Jets played there in 2003, uh, losing to Tampa Bay 30-14. to 14. But all those games are preseason games. No regular season action there. And that is the Tokyo Dome, Dave. Kind of a little bit of I a like rundown it. of it. What probably, about? We probably, probably won't hit that again unless we do a Hulk and uh, Muda in 93. Well, that's what I wanted to know is what was Hulk up to? At this time, why don't you take over Let's the mic, take Dave? And, and a good tell me what Hulk look, was up to. my brother. Here we go. This is a good one. So, batten down the hatches, as Gino Morello would tell you. Okay, well, as we said, the uh, the match we're covering, Hulk and Stan Hansen, was in April of 1990 at the Tokyo Dome. But uh, the videotape that we're covering didn't come out until December of 91. That includes this great match. So, we're going to do the month of December 1991. So, there's no confusion. Uh, well, on Thanksgiving Eve that year, uh, the Undertaker, the Undertaker defeated Hulk Hogan in a big upset. He, uh, tombstone Hulk on the, uh, steel chair, but this Hulk's head didn't even hit the chair. His head got tucked into Undertaker's legs a little too tight and it jarred Hulk's neck. And Hulk had heard all year long from Coco Beware, Hulk's really good friends with Coco Beware. And the Undertaker hurt, hurt Coco Beware the year before at the Survivor Series, Undertaker's debut. So I think half of it was in Hulk's head, and half of it he really did get jarred, but Hulk was a little upset about uh, the way The Undertaker uh, tombstoned him there, and that's turned into a big deal uh, with, you know, with the marks these, these days. But I just set the record straight there, so we don't have to bring that up again. A few days later, December 2nd, uh, Hulk is no longer the champion. He lost the title to The Undertaker, like I said, but in Corpus Christi, Texas, at the Memorial Coliseum, we have a wrestling challenge taping, the one and only match. Hulk Hogan over Typhoon. This match is on Invasion 92 Coliseum video and the Immortal Hulk Hogan Coliseum video. I always thought when you know when they turned Typhoon earlier in the year, um, I thought that him and Hulk would be they'd go on the road together and have some big matches. I also think that they had in mind Earthquake and Typhoon to take on Hulk and Andre because Earthquake had that beef with Andre going on at that time, but Andre obviously wasn't healthy enough. That actually could have been the match made in hell. Turn Slaughter earlier, you know, for SummerSlam and have Earthquake and Typhoon against Hogan and Andre. 
if Andre was in better shape, the Garden would have went nuts for that. But that's another story. Uh, Hulk Typhoon over Typhoon at the challenge taping. The next day, December 3rd, San Antonio, Texas, Freeman Coliseum in front of a sellout of 8,000 fans. It's the first ever Tuesday night in Texas pay-per-view. The first, it's kind of like a prequel to the in-your-house style pay-per-views that will come a few years later. Uh, this is the big rematch from the Survivor Series the week before. Hulk Hogan now defeats The Undertaker to win his fourth world title. Mm. There's little shenan- yeah, little shenanigans going on. Flair was down ringside. That no good, dirty Jack Tunney was down ringside. Mm-hmm. And Hulk Hulkster uh, threw the ashes, you know, in, in the face of The Undertaker, you know, to get him back for, from tombstone him on the chair the week before. And Flair uh, showed Tunney that happening. So what happened was uh, that Saturday on Superstars, the title was declared vacant by Jack Tunney. So, uh, you know, but Hulk still still counts as fourth, fourth world championship win Tuesday in Texas. The first ever uh, Tuesday night WWF pay-per-view. And then uh, the next night, we're going to do a Superstars taping on December 3rd in Austin, Texas, the Frank Irwin Center in front of 7,500 people. Now, I don't know if this is true or not. This is, could be Hulk's. Title defense over Ric Flair, his only title defense for his fourth championship title reign. I didn't even know this happened until uh, doing the research for this podcast. I don't know if Hulk came out with the belt that night. I guess he did because uh, the TV didn't run yet with them. Jack Tunney saying he's been stripped. And if people attending the show in Austin, Texas, ordered the pay-per-view the night before, they know Hulk won the title there. So I imagine Hulk came out uh, and has only title defense of his fourth championship reign defeating Ric Flair by countout in a dark match there and at the Superstar Saping. And I believe this is the night, uh, there's a big story that Vince went out with the boys to a strip club in Texas around this time. And he was just in a hell of a good mood. And he let everybody do their finishing moves on him off the stripper stage. Oh, like yeah. the Brett Hulk, tells Hulk and story, Animal. doesn't he? Brett tells it. Yeah. Animal picked him up from behind and Hulk and Brutus you know, held them just to make sure he didn't get hurt. And Hawk came off with the with the big clothesline. And then uh, Jim the Anvil, Bear Hug Vince, and Brett came off the stage with, with the clothesline. Uh, yeah, I narrowed it down. I believe that it's this night after this Superstars taping. To be a fly on the wall in there, huh? Or, yeah, or, a, fly, yeah. or a fly on the tit. One or the other. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a few nights later in St. Louis in front of 7,900 at Matinee, Hulk Hogan over Ric Flair by countout. Now, by this night, December 8th, that is the Sunday. So now the, that crowd knows Hulk Hogan has been stripped of the title if they're watching syndicated TV. So no champion Hulk not coming out with the belt in St. Louis. So the fourth title reign is officially over for Hulk Hogan by this time. Bullshit. Two days late. Yeah. Few, uh, it's that revisionist history. I like The Undertaker. I'm a fan of his, especially as a person. But the revisionist history surrounding that character is insane insane mm-hmm. what are you gonna do december 12th uh wwf sws super wrestle is in japan back in tokyo here in front of forty thousand fans hulk hogan over tenru at 1339 get this after insiguri and three axe bombers axe bomber is hulk's finisher in uh japan it's a it's a running clothesline with the 24 inch pythons but an insiguri before that uh, I've seen that match here and there. It's, a, it's any, anything with Hulk Japan is, is a must see. Uh, a couple of days later, Honolulu, Hawaii, December fourteenth at the Aloha Stadium, eighteen thousand jam packed the stadium for Hulkster to go over Ric Flair by a countout. 
And then the WWF gets their much-deserved two-week Christmas vacation like they did every year at this time. December 26th, they make their return to Hershey, Pennsylvania at the Great Hershey Park Arena. Matinee, Hulk Hogan over Ric Flair by disqualification. Later on that night, um, the Cap Center, Landover, Maryland. That's that's a far far distance from a matinee to a to a night show. Yeah, they might have they might have had a private jet. I would hope for this one, but they're in the Cap Center later that night. Six thousand two twelve light attendance for Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, but that's the way it was at the time. Uh, wasn't as hot as as you would think. Hogan over Flair DQ after two reverse decisions. They were doing a lot of that. With the uh, agents running in and finding um, brass knucks and flares, tights, etc. December 27th, Richmond, Virginia at the Coliseum 9000 in Ric Flair country. As Hogan goes over Flair by a countout again. Next night, December 28th, Minneapolis, Minnesota, tar- Target Center 9000 again. Hogan over Flair by countout. And then finally, New York City, Madison Square Garden. December 29th aired on New Year's Eve on Madison Square Garden Network. Remember it like yesterday. Hogan over Flair on a count out. This one's on Hulk Hogan's unreleased archives. DVD. Is this? Did I do the place to be nation of this one or the other one? They wrestle at the Garden. Ooh, I think it was this one. I think it. No, no, no. no I think it was the first one. First, one, it was it, the first one with the it foreign was. object yep. in the trunks. He mm. pinned Hulk, and then yeah. yeah, yeah, a lot more heat for that one. This one's kind of just like a brawl, and Hulk just wins by a count out, and everybody's happy. It's the last match. That one you did was was the match before the intermission, you know, to come to come back. Yeah, cause, yes, because Vince was on commentary. I remember you asking me my my thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, no, it's the first Gorilla's, one for sure. Yeah, Gorilla's back on commentary here. But there you go. All right, interesting stuff. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna read the news for December of 1991. We're gonna go through Hulkamania six VHS, which actually has a cameo appearance from a match we've already covered. Way back in the very, sure very, 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 very beginning of the 24-inch podcast. Uh, and then, of course, we will go through Hulk's match against Stan Hansen in the Tokyo Dome uh, from 1991. All right, you ready, Dave? Let's take a break. I'm ready. Welcome back to the 24-inch podcast. We are covering Hulkamania 6, the Coliseum home video release in December of 1991 by the WWF. But before we can get to that, Dave, it's time to read the news. December 1991, we're calling it the release month of the tape because we already did the month where the match occurred. So we adjust on the fly in those instances. There you have it. Which means we go back to December 1st, 1991, the U.S. 75th manned space mission, the STS-44 Atlantis-10 lands safely. Uh, Thank God for that. Also on December 1st, Miami quarterback Dan Marino 
sets an NFL record when he reaches 3,000 yards passing for the eighth time in his career during the Dolphins' 33-14 win over Tampa Bay at Joe Robbie Stadium. One of the greats. Yes. Uh, former- loosely, loosely my second favorite football team, the Dolphins, because it's Vince Neal's obsessed. <laughs> former Pittsburgh Pirates outfielder Bobby Bonilla becomes the highest-paid player in Major League Baseball when he agrees to a record $29 million five-year deal with the Mets that they are still paying out to this day $1 million a year every July 4th. Uh, what other teams was he was he on? Was there another, besides the Mets, a big... Uh... Pirates. Pirates, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, let's check him. Let's fact check him. Well, you would know if it was... No, no, it's something else. December 3rd, Hulk Hogan defeats The Undertaker at this Tuesday in Texas at the Freeman Coliseum in San Antonio to become four-time WWF champion. Do they got it right? That's right. And strange that this one would be in here. Of all, I think they've missed like a couple of way more important ones. They get them wrong. Like this one's kind of like, because this title reign, like I said earlier, I didn't even think he had a title defense, but obviously he did the next night at the taping. I would love to get a to get footage of that somehow, Richard Land, if you know of it anywhere. Dece- but, um... Yeah. No, I was just about to read the next one. You got more to say about it? Not a t- Read away, my man. December 4th, Pan American World Airways ceased operations. Uh, we do one of these every month. December 5th, Cat Skills on Broadway opened in New York City for 452 performances. Uh, uh. December. Is that like a is that a mix of the play cats and like Mike Tyson because he's from Catskill, New York? Exactly. Like Ma- that was Mike it. Tyson dressed yep. as a cat. Yep. I'd pay money to see that. You got it. That's why it ran so long. <laughs> uh, December fifth, the New York Daily News files for protection under Chapter Eleven. Guess they worked it out. No, it, yeah, really. Back then, <laughs> that, that that reminds me of the days nineteen ninety one where I would get my wrestling news was from the Slammer every Friday before school. You know, we get a Clinton's, Clinton iced tea. That's a big thing here in New Jersey, Clinton's iced tea. It's, no, it's defunct now. Maybe a donut or a buttered roll in the Daily News, and you'd read the slammer. It was a guy uh, in a mask, and it would, be, it would be in a sports section only on Fridays, and all the inside stuff on wrestling, and like, you know, who was under the mask, you know, all that kind of crazy stuff. And uh, that was really cool. It was a fun – you would, like, get up – you want to get out of bed on Friday, uh, you know, to get to to get to school, you know, get to the store first to get that slammer and the daily news. And That's I'm happy, sweet. happy it didn't go out of business because it went on well into the 90s. That's really cool. December yeah. 9th, the second annual Billboard Music Awards highlighted by victories from Michael Jackson, Billy Ray Cyrus, Boys to Men, and U2. Nice mix there. A big Billy one. Billy Ray Cyrus, huh? A big one for me on December 10th. Jackie Martling walks off the Howard Stern show for one day. And wow, one of, the joke the joke man. One of his many contract disputes, of course, the last one famously, uh, was in two thousand and one, where he walked off and was not invited back and eventually replaced I, by Artie Lang. You're yeah, the great Artie Lang. I'm yeah. I'm a fan myself. But I mean, your boy Howard Stern, you know, and I'm I'm somewhat of a fan. He's gotta be walking on eggshells nowadays. Oh, I know. With just anybody. Well, just, he, he's just, a worm. He worms out of it. He's had his blackface uh, yeah, yeah. thing released. He sometimes it's who, it, somehow it's worms who you out are. of it. Yeah, it's who you are. Even Nikki Six from Motley Crue, who who is I heard that today. With, he said something right that they're 
they're sexist, but everyone was or something like that. Yeah, that that. But yeah, I'm not even talking about that. There, there's a video from '97 where where he is God. I almost don't want to even say it on here, and I, nobody's going to listen to this show to that extent. Where he says something very bad at a concert that doesn't go with the way he acts now. Right. Even though he was right to be yelling at this person, he probably shouldn't have yelled that that name right. to he this used person. Used a bad he word. Yep. He could have called him something else because. This person was wrong when he was I got doing it. it. The I security guards beating up fans. Yep. But if that ever came out and went viral now, forget it. Forget it. Say goodbye you know to that. I mean? Say goodbye and to I that. And I would almost, I would almost not even feel bad because because the, the way, he, you know, the way he kisses ass and stuff. You know what I mean? The woke eat the Instead woke. Of, yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. December eleventh. Hook, a swashbuckling film sequel to the Peter Pan story, directed by Steven Spielberg and starring Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman, pre- premieres. I showed this to Paula. She didn't like it. I saw that in the movies. Yeah, she wasn't a Don't fan. Don't remember much about it. Yeah, boring probably. Yeah, boring. Uh, December 12th, Orion Pictures files Chapter 11 for bankrupt pr- bankruptcy protection. I always remember, you know, watching, uh, being in the movies and their little thing coming across, the little... Yeah. Psh, yeah. Metallica owned that studio, right? Orion. Yes, that, and they wrote a song about it, but no uh-huh. lyrics, just music. That's it. Yep. December 12th, Tampa Bay Buccaneers defensive player Dexter Manley retires after failing another drug test. Of course, he failed many. Well, with the Redskins. 1991, they're cracking down, I guess, right? It's, we're going to have our in our little world uh, some drug test uh, failures coming up soon. December 13th, New York Assembly Speaker Mel Miller is convicted of federal mail fraud. Hmm. Uh, December 14th, the 57th Heisman Trophy Award is won by this Michigan wide receiver, Dave. Oh, you're asking me? Yes. Okay. He eventually won a Super Bowl MVP with Brett Favre and the Packers when they, okay, when they defeated the, the Patriots in the Superdome. Give me his initials. D H. Hmm. I'm drawing a blank, brother. I'm Desmond sorry. Howard. Uh, all right, I wouldn't have got it. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Oh, this is crazy. December seventeenth, Dave's Cleveland Cavaliers beat oh, the yeah. Mi- beat the Miami Heat one forty eight to eighty, a record sixty eight point spread, wow. and I had big bucks on the Heat money line that night. So I, yeah, I took a beating. Uh, took a beating there. Rough. Oh, this is big. So that I read that right. Right in the next story listed, December seventeenth, NBA's most lopsided game: Cleveland beats Miami, one forty-eight to eighty. It's on there twice for some reason. It's funny. Oh yeah, I was gonna say. I, don't know. I, was, th- <laughs> I was thinking. Did he say another team and the other so one? I just missed it. It's listed twice with just different words. Okay. All right, December seventeenth. The Pittsburgh Penguins scored a team record eight goals in one period, uh, the second period it was, in a 10-2 win over the NHL expansion team from San Jose. The San Jose? Sharks. Sharks. Oh, just a were they like new? Were they like new back then? That was their first year, the expansion. Yeah. San Jose Sharks. Oh, you said that. Expansion. Yeah. yeah, I remember like everybody with their you know, starter jacket. The starter jackets. jacket, yeah, with the turquoise. That's something, no, that was the Mighty Ducks were new, too. That, that, yeah. was, that was a thing. Yeah, they came a couple years later. Yeah. Um, General Motors on the 18th announced the closing of 21 plants. That hurts. Yeah. 
Um, oh, another troubled athlete in drugs. On December 19th, New York Yankee pitcher Steve Howe is arrested for cocaine possession. Uh, wow. More sports expansion. The NF- NHL grants permanent membership to the Tampa who and the Ottawa who, Dave? Well, Tampa Bay Lightning, brother, because of the Hulkster yep. is behind them. And the Ottawa. So we know that. Oh. Ooh. Keep in mind, it's the capital city of Canada. Capital city of Canada. Yes, Ottawa is their capital. Uh, Ontario, um, Edmonton, Ontario. No, I have no idea. The Senators. Oh, I would never would have known. You never heard of the Ottawa Senators? No, I heard of them, but I still never would have got it. Uh, December 21st, the Soviet Union formally dissolves as 11 of 12 republics signed treaty forming the Commonwealth of Independent States. Sorry, Nikolai Volkov, your gimmick is uh, on its way. It's out, but now it's really on its way out. December 24th, the Balloon Dior for the Europeans' best soccer player is given to the French forward Jean-Pierre Papin. I thought that was one of those like balloon float festivals that like <laughs> Brett Michaels plays at. Well, I mentioned that because this year it will probably be won by Lionel Messi, the Argentine Argentinian superstar soccer player, or the Italian Jorginho. So hopefully Jorginho uh, is the winner this year. Friggin' soccer. That soccer stadium I got in Harrison, New Jersey, the Red Bulls, the traffic over there when I'm trying to do my grub hubs, that's another story. December 25th, Mikhail Gorbachev formally resigns as president of the USSR in a televised speech and also reveals that the spot on his head is just a drawing. He wipes it off. That, oh, Anytime someone mentions Miguel Gorbachev, is uh, well, I'm saying the Spanish version, Miguel Gorbachev. What's the real? What's Mikhail? Mikhail, right? yep. Mikhail, all right, not the Spanish version of Miguel Gorbachev. is a different person. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but um, uh, I always think of the Growing Pains episode where Ben had to make a, a school uh, a map or something, and he used a Lex Luthor action figure as a uh, Mikhail Gorbachev and drew the spot on his head. Then him and Mike had to go out and find uh, glue, and they, they end up like driving the convertible and meeting chicks. One of them was Jenny Garth. It's a really good episode. It's a, little, it's a little bit later in the run, but it's one, it's one of my favorites. And they, they, they run into Principal DeWitt with a turkey and a hot wife. Two things. I just watched the episode where Mike and Boner sell stereos. Oh, Mike's really good at it, but Boner's not. And then also, ho- I want to mention that when I think of Gorbachev, I think of OJ and the Naked Gun. Look out! So Yes, yeah. yes. Oh, you and Tim Mangione. Yeah. The iconic Tim Mangione. Look out! So we, right. we, have, we have a couple questions for him, from him later. December 26th, Chuck Knoll retires as an NFL coach after 23 years of coaching the... Oh, uh, he was no re- idea. He was replaced by Bill Cower with the jaw, with that jaw. What sport are we in? Football. Oh, football. This what team, team? This team, okay, so Chuck Knoll retired in December 26, 1991. Since then, they've only had two coaches. Chuck... Um, Chuck Knoll, then it went to uh, Bill Cower, and now Mike Tomlin. They've only had three coaches since 1991. I know Mike Tomlin. Okay, so who does he coach? Because then you'd have it. 
I just can't remember who coaches, but I, mean, I know him. Philadelphia, know or excuse me, Pittsburgh Steelers. I, do, I swear to God, I was gonna. I swear to God, it was gonna be a guess, but that was gonna be my guess. So throw a guess out. I Jesus. swear to God, like, I was. I, you didn't give me. I didn't get it out. Not like you get it's burned not. with a cigarette if you're wrong. Uh, December. <laughs> That's 20- okay, Joe. I got a couple of burns. December twenty sixth. Jack Ruby's gun sells for this much in an auction. How much do you think they got in nineteen ninety one for the gun that Jack Ruby killed Lee Harvey Oswald with? Uh, Ten grand, two hundred and twenty thousand. Ooh, it's a little off there. All right, December twenty. Imagine what it be now. Oh, the way I know. Cost, collectibles. December twenty sixth, future Hall of Fame, Hockey Hall of Fame, right wing Joe Mullen scores four goals for the second straight NHL game as the Penguins route Toronto. The Penguins superstar added two goals and five assists. Who is that Penguin superstar, Dave? I know. I remember from the last time. It's a name I know from playing Sega Genesis. I mean, he's uh, one of the probably three most famous hockey players of all time. Yes. From New Milford, Connecticut, originally from Hoboken, New Jersey, Mario Mancini. I mean, Mario Lemieux. Yeah. Some of that's true. Some of it's not. Uh, another famous football coach retires, Dave. It's Chuck Knox retired as, as the coach of which team in the, in the northwest part of the United States? He retired to have more time to follow around this city's emerging rock and roll scene in 1991. He did not want to miss any more Pearl Jam shows at the off-ramp. It's not a Redskins. No, the Seattle Seahawks, you dope. Oh, duh, yeah. I'm thinking, all right. Over there, same area, same area. The Redskins are the same area. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm thinking of what? Oh, Uh, yeah. That was just a brain fart. That was a brain fart, brother. Oh, Dave. That was a brain fart. No, really. No, no, no. It was a brain fart. All right. December 28th, 1991. This guy is named Time Magazine's Man of the Year. And I'll give you a little hint. There is a wrestling tie-in. Say it again. All right. December 28th, Time Magazine announces their Man of the Year. I want you to guess that man, and your hint is he does have a wrestling tie-in. Man of the Year in 1991 with a wrestling tie-in. Okay, uh, Saddam Hussein. Ted Turner. Oh, that was going to be my next guess. <laughs> yeah, sure it was. You're on a cold streak, man. We got to try to Big find- tie-in. Yeah. No, but that 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 Washington thing really was a brain fart. <laughs> All right, I was <laughs> I was trying to find something to let you go on yeah. a, a good note, but there's just nothing left. I can't think why he would be the man of the year in '91. Uh, Turner. So well, I wasn't thinking. I, I was trying to think of 1991 things. He's the, I know it really wasn't Saddam Hussein, but I, I was thinking 1991. He's the owner of the Braves. They go to the World Series. I mean, he's. Uh, I wouldn't know that. Cable Empire with. Uh, you know, CNN and all that in 91. Well, maybe when up. NWO was formed, brother, in 1996, Ted, billionaire Ted should be the man of the year. Not in 1991. Well, maybe. Here's one thing that's probably not going to happen on December 31st, 2021. The Dow Jones closes at a record high, uh, 3,168.83. And that is the news. The news. All right, Dave. Hulkamania. Number six, uh, it's a cool um, cover. It's Hulk uh, with a six, and it says an American superhero. He's holding the American flag, which I guess is all kind of a tie-in to the um, 
to the uh, war and all that. But at this time, uh, Coliseum Home Video, we kind of talked about earlier. Dave, you kind of wanted to mention something about the way these videos are numbered. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of our friends on podcasts, like I can't think of whom off the top of my head, but I've heard it maybe even from Conrad over the years. They think that bloopers, bleeps, and body slams is the first ever Coliseum video. And why is that the first ever Coliseum video? Why would a bloopers video video be the first one? That's actually not true. It may be labeled one, but these videos came out in threes. You'd have a specialty video, like the bloopers one. Then you have the best of the WWF which would be volume one following bloopers on the first series, and then a video on one wrestler, which would be Hulkamania. So as bloopers, bleeps, and body slams is labeled one, number one is really bloopers, bleeps, and body slams, the best of WWF volume one, and Hulkamania. They all came out together. Just the way they did it in the warehouse, they labeled that one one. Then you go on three or four months later, and you get the best of WWF volume two, most unusual matches, which would line up with the bloopers video, and then the Andre the Giant tape. So you got it. Then the next, you know, the next one would be volume three and the Roddy Piper tape and, you know, some other specialty tape. So it went in threes. A lot of people, the narrative has been built that why is the blooper tape the number one? Because Vince McMahon only cared about that kind of stuff. That's not the truth. That's just the way they came out in threes. And that, that one was that one was labeled Uno. One thing I noticed about this tape, watching it back, was how much this tape was really just a commercial for a bunch of other shit they wanted you to buy. You know, it was almost like, okay, we know Hulk fans are going to rent this. So when they do, what else can we sell them? Uh, You know, whether it be all the different merch that they had the set designed with or different things that they cut to commercials with. Uh, But, man, this tape really felt like a 55-minute WWF commercial uh, with some matches mixed in. I just couldn't believe I mean, something I would have never picked up on as a kid because I would have been too focused on how much I wanted all the different shit. It got more like that down the line. Yeah, I this think. one. I, we're down at a yeah. point. Where I, prob- I know I rented this one because it was Hulk, but I don't even know by 91 if I was interested in re- renting all all the uh, whatever was coming out of the time. I know the best of was already done. Yeah, by, by 91, I'm mostly just renting pay-per-views and shit. You know, I'm renting yeah. you know, the... Survivor Series and SummerSlam '91. I must have rented, you know, if you didn't see six hundred ninety times. Him, if you didn't already see him at home, if you didn't really, but even I, if I, I did, even if I did, if I didn't tape uh, it, I'd rent it all the time. You know, yeah, I, mean? I would tape it, so I, I'd have it. So I mean, it wasn't a uh, yeah, no, that I, was never an issue. But these, I guess, I would rent, but it wasn't like the it wasn't like '86 renting them, '87 renting. Sure. It was a different feel for us. You know, it could be a different generation of people that got into wrestling. Maybe in eighty nine, not eighty six, and this was their this was their wheelhouse at this time, you know. So it just it, it all depends. History of Wrestling Blog dot has some notes, uh, which I kind of took some of my notes from. But we start off with the WWF Championship match, Hulk Hogan versus the Undertaker. Um, it's July of ninety one. Uh, it's before Undertaker wins at the Survivor Series. Um, and it's a pretty slow match, sort of very much indicative of what Iron, uh, Undertaker matches were at the time. Um, Hulk plays possum a little bit in the match. Um, it's just a very kind of slow, um, okay match with a little bit of a convoluted finish. Um, Hulk does Hulk up, um, but it's nothing special. It's not. It's not the best hulk undertaker match for sure but 
that starts us off. What do you think of this one, Dave? So this is the first match uh, between these two uh, wrestlers, and it was and at you a can July. Tell they, they they haven't kind of got their rhythm. I guess is what I'm kind of starting to say. You know, they no. they're both feeling each other out for most of this match. Well, the reason is this is a superstar stapling from July '91, and this was the match why the people came and they kept them. This was probably 12:30 at, at midnight. Mm-hmm. This is the last, you know, the last match of the night. So it's boom, boom, bing, bing, boom. Get get in and out. Hulk didn't drop the leg because I know by this point he a lot of times if he's in a tag match he'll roll up the guy because that leg drop you know three hundred and two pound guy doing that leg drop on that hard ring you know what I mean he's pushing forty at this time is uh, is a lot on you that's why he's gone through all those back surgeries so this is a match he probably had no idea it was being you know being taped for Coliseum video just to you know to keep the people there for all the TV stuff. And, uh, hey, but, you know, Steve, we could all be happy that Hulk got pinned The Undertaker and made quick work of him yeah. for their first ever meeting. And no one could ever change that in the revisionist history. <laughs> yep, quick work. Uh, next, we get a Hulkamania workout. Um, 7.30 in the morning, Hulk's working out with the Macho Man, and he's working out with Brutus Beefcake. And Gene Ooh. Okerlund shows up, and it's just a silly little vignette that was really fun. And... When we were watching it, and Paula saw Hulk and Macho Man, she goes, "Look, Dad, they haven't exploded." So she was happy to see an unexploded yeah. Mega Powers. I guess post explosion, working out together. Post explosion. I believe this is their only time, not WCW, WWF on camera as friends. Post explosion, right? Unless I'm not thinking of something. I mean, it's I, all. I, I, it's, I was surprised to see him there. You know. I think I remember being surprised renting this tape. Like, whoa, look at this. You know, like those these guys these guys are hanging. You know, and just rewatching it now I thought it was pretty cool. You know, you know you see a bunch of them together in WCW obviously. But not counting that, you know, after the Meg- whole Mega Power and Hulk actually refers to them as the Mega Powers, right? Right yeah. here on right yep, here on he Coliseum video. Fantastic. Really really nice hidden gem here of the Hulk Macho relationship and it, you know it can't be forgotten about. And, of course, Brother Bruda is in there with everybody. Mean Gene comes in. They try to reenact the 1985 through 87 funniness. It just kind of wasn't work. Like TNT. It's not Titan as good as thing. the classic not as good. You know, Hulk working out with Gene. Yeah, from, from it seems a little hillbilly Jim. It seems a little forced this time. But what stood out to me was uh, Hulk and Savage, you know, uh, back together, being referred to as the Mega Powers. They, 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 those guys, were, you could just tell. Why would Savage be? Those guys were always friends, but it was like that kind of friendship where it's on and off, where it's it's almost like some some of the best friendships with people are like that. And you could tell they had that that strange on and off, hot and cold friendship in real life. Well, Sean Mooney uses this footage as a transition in the tape, uh, and he shows some footage of the relationship between Hulk and Macho, including the, the feud that they had in 89. And they show the bump that Liz takes on Saturday Night's main event, which was hotly debated uh, by Scott Criscolo and I. Uh, what was the debate? Uh, about the bump that Liz took on the main event. How she took it or, or storyline? The storyline. You remember the debate oh, that Scott okay. and I yes, had? yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay. Man, Dave's, no, a, Dave's gonna, gonna, another plan. What are you drinking over there? You, no, no, I was going to tell you a story about one man gang told me about how they, they planned the whole bump and stuff. All right, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I don't. I don't. I don't have to tell it now. If, if that was, like, I thought you like, were going to say Elizabeth took the bump really hard. She got hurt or something like that. I remember what you. 
what you're talking about now about the storyline factor of it. Okay. You don't want to tell and the I, story then? And I agree with you. No, the story is that um, uh, Macho Man worked with a uh, one-man gang when he was Crusher Bro- uh, Bloomfield. Broomfield or Bloomfield? A lot, you know, pre-WWF. And obviously the way Macho Man was with Elizabeth, he wasn't going to let just anybody, you know, throw him out of the ring for that bump. And he really he trusted uh, the gang, Akeem. Mm-hmm. To do that and to be uh, to be on point with the timing and everything like that, and it went unscathed. It was like a you know a fly hitting Elizabeth. She didn't get hurt. She did nothing. Good. But it, lo- didn't, it looked insane. Though. Yeah, it looked like she really got hurt there. Really good, really good job by everyone to pull that off. Uh, this leads to a match between Hulk and Macho Man post WrestleMania five eighty nine, October of eighty nine in Paris, Paris, um, where it's Sherry, not Liz, of course, in Savage's corner. And Liz and Hogan's. Um, Gorilla and Alfred Hayes are on the call on this one. Um, and I thought this was a really kind of a cool match. Um, just in the sense that I'd never, I mean, I'm sure I've seen this tape, so I've seen it. I'm sure I've seen it. Uh, but watching back, I didn't really remember it. And, um, you know, there's some cool interaction between Liz and Sherry here in and out of the ring. Um, and uh, Hogan uh, hits the boot and drops the leg and gets the victory. Um, so kind of a cool match. I like this one. What do you think, Dave? Uh, definitely a great match. I think this match was on another Coliseum video a year or two prior to this, like right after the match happened. Uh, it happened. This was, I believe, October 90. It was after – I'm sorry, October 89. It was after SummerSlam 89. And it was definitely the last time Elizabeth uh, accompanied Hogan down to the ring. And she had like a different kind of hairstyle. It was kind of cool, and uh, obviously because Liz went over to uh, went over there with Savage, and she's there, so you might as well you might as well do the do the thing and have her come out with Hogan because she definitely wasn't managing Hogan at that time after SummerSlam '89. That was it for TV with Liz and Hogan, and uh, yeah, the match was great. Sherry's great, and everything. Uh, this is this is late in the run for Hogan Savage. They probably only have one more marquee match that would be the main event match with buster douglas as a referee in uh february of 90 and uh no i just i just thought i thought it was great and um you know hulks are getting a pin. hulks are getting pin macho man too many times you know and he got the one two three on him here uh well next on the tape is the hulk hogan versus stan hansen match but like we normally do for the card we're gonna skip over that now and we'll come back to it we'll do that one last sound good Sounds great. All right, that means next up is the first match in the history of the 24-inch podcast. Wow. From WrestleMania 2, Hulk Hogan versus King Kong Bundy, and why they thought they needed to pick this match of all matches uh, to put in here, I have no idea, but it was cool. I love this match. Um, When I watched it, I thought, oh, this is cool. You know, 20 episodes ago, we, we covered this one, our very first um, our very first show. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, if you joined us, you know somewhere along the run, go back and check that episode out. Listen to the Dave getting his cherry broken. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. See if I was gentle or if I pounded the shit out of him. Mm. Um, I'm still hurting. No, yeah, I'm but kidding. that was the match. You know, I, everything I think I said needed to say about it. I said then. Uh, any extra thoughts here? Uh, as I do came up on the tape. Go ahead. I do. I think this may have been the match that caused it may have been no hate mail. The stuff with Jesse with the lawsuits with Coliseum video with his voice 
still being on the, the Coliseum videos. Because here we are in December of 91, this video being released. And here's Jesse's voice on here. Jesse had been gone for just a little over... Just a little over a year, he'd be out of the WWF at this point. I can't think of what on the other tapes may uh, may have used. Mostly at this time in 90-91 was Alfred and Sean Mooney dubbing over dark matches from tapings. Kind of like the Undertaker-Hulk match. Those were kind of like the Coliseum video matches at this time. So this may be the one. Jesse may have gotten word that uh, you know his, his voice is prevalent on this tape. And all that stuff started coming into uh, you know, into fruition. And because um, uh, shortly after this, I know the March to WrestleMania 8 in 92, they have Bobby and Gorilla voicing over all the Jesse stuff for the big WrestleMania matches that they show on the uh, on the Hulk Hogan tribute in uh, of March of 92 on the USA Network. So I think this may have been the one. That's a really interesting take. I think you're onto something. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Good catch. by good catch by you. Good job by you. Thank you. You should say, oh, thank you, dog. Uh, oh, I thought you were being Jimmy Hart, baby. No, I was being um, uh, the Mad Dog. Good job by you. Oh, well. I don't do a good Mad Dog, but I'm better, I'm better at uh, Francesa. You know, good job, dog. I mean, Francesa, uh, I can doze was, off over it was, here. It was know? good, dog. You know, uh, Eat some uh, chicken franchise. Yeah, so, uh, Mike, uh, do you think that the Rangers, or do you think that the New York Giants and the San Francisco Giants have lunch when they're in town? Oh, <laughs> uh, what? God. Whoa, lunch? Yeah, and Henrik Lundqvist and you, Darvish, are best friends too. Uh, uh, good job, uh, dog. Okay. All right. I love you, you, you. Obviously, you know I'm not a big sports guy, but I love anything, any clips, any YouTube clips on Mike Francesca doing anything funny. I love it. We have an old video here from, uh, you know, you know, like on, on old wrestling tapes from USA Network, you get like the localized thing, like come to this cleaners and we'll clean your clothes here in North Arlington, New Jersey. But there was one for a restaurant by the Meadowlands. And it was Mike Francesca and another uh, sports uh, personality talking about the food. And they would eat the food and Mike Francesca would go, mmm, the chicken fr- It's just so funny. You, you know, knowing Mike Francesca is just so funny. I gotta send you that. I love Mike and the Mad Dog. I love Francesa. I love Mad Dog. I love everything about it. I wouldn't be doing this right now, probably without the Mike and the Mad Dog show. Awesome. Next up, Hulk Hogan versus General Adnan. Um, I think it's this match originally aired on the Road to WrestleMania Seven special, I believe. Correct. Um, it's from March of '91, so about a month before uh, WrestleMania, uh, and it's a long one. I mean, it goes a minute and four. Um, Pensacola, Florida, uh, is where it was. Um, it ends in disqualification when Slaughter, uh, came to the ring and attacked Hogan from behind with the title. Uh, after the bout, Slaughter used the Iraqi, fla- Iraqi flagpole to assault Hogan and then put him in the camel clutch for a lengthy period while Adnan held the title belt in front of Hogan's face. After letting go of the hold, Slaughter again assaulted Hogan with the flagpole before draping the flag on top of him. Heat, 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 brother. What do you think? Heat, definitely good heat, but it didn't really have to good heat with me. I was almost 11 years old, and I was used to wrestling. I knew a lot about wrestling, a whole lot, and I just knew that there's no way Sergeant Slaughter is going to keep the belt over Hulk Hogan. I know that he took it from Warrior to lose it to Hogan, and it just didn't really register with me. I mean, of course, I watched it, of course, I I love WrestleMania 7 and all, but just, just didn't have that 
like the next year I was more pissed off at Sid Justice when he was what he was doing to Hulkster. I thought maybe there's a little more this one just like no problem for Hulk. So see I was very confident that Hulk would win. But I wasn't cocky like that. You know, because yeah. I think maybe it goes back to Steamboat, you know? And like Hockey Talk Man. Yeah. Right? I'm serious because <laughs> yeah. I see my guy get screwed out of the belt, right? So I, it just scarred me in the way as a fan where it's like, of course Hulk is going to beat him, but what if they do Hulk dirty like they did Warrior dirty? You know, there's a lot of guys out there in that ring. So I always had that attitude. I was confident yeah. but never too confident. Well, I got, like like I said, too confident this time, but it worked out in my favor, obviously. But the Yokozuna in 93, the rematch from the WrestleMania 9 thing, I had not a chance in the world thinking Yokozuna is going to take the belt right back. Hulk just won it. You know what I mean? He's back. There's not a, I remember just like talking with people, not even paying attention, and oh, boom, fire, one, two, three. What the fuck? Like, what? It, I could, that was the one that caught me sleeping. Yokozuna, 93. Well, naturally, after the uh, Adnan match, we go to the match at WrestleMania 7. Hulk and Slaughter. We have not covered this mania yet, um, and I'm looking forward to doing it. Right? We haven't oh, done yeah. seven, have we? No. No, sir. Only uh, two and eight. Two and eight. Yeah. And, and uh, Rock And one. 18. 18. 18. Yeah. yeah. So I'm looking forward to doing this one down the road. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to save probably a majority of my comments about this match for then. Um, Alex Trebek was the guest ring announcer. Rest in peace, of course, to him. Um, and I think Tommy Lasorda was also involved. Rest in peace to him. Oh, no, that was just me. That's, that's two. Re- Regis, I was thinking of, was the guest commentator for the match. And rest in peace rest to him. Rest in peace to him. So all three guys. It's, of course, the second. I'm surprised second. it took Regis, Regis this long to uh, be at a WrestleMania. I thought he would be at, like, you know, Euchre was, like, that kind of gimmick for uh, three and four. I would think Regis should have been at five because he had all the guys on. Like I, I said yeah. on Fire 24-inch podcast, my mom would tape tape me them for me when I was at school. He had all those years, 88, 88 into the mid-90s. He had all the guys on. So it took a, it took a few years, but uh, yeah, here he is. This is, of course, the second Hulk Hogan title defense at WrestleMania in Los Angeles, uh, and both of those title defenses are on this tape. Anything else you want to mention about? Well, not really a title, the title victory for seven. Right, wasn't a defense. Yeah. You're right. Yep, yeah. title matches, I guess I should have said. Close enough. Yep. All right. And then the tape ends uh, with a tag match. Uh, and that is Hulk Hogan and the Hacksaw, Jim Duggan. Oh! Defeating Slaughter and Mustafa with Adnan at 4.05 when Hogan pinned Mustafa with an inside cradle immediately after Adnan threw powder into Hogan's eyes. Uh, this was recorded on July 9th, 1991 in Edmonton, Alberta. All I can say about that is paydays for Shiki Baby. Shiki Baby, number one. Big paydays for him in 91. All right, so let's go back now um, to the Tokyo Dome uh, and really the highlight of this tape. Um, and it's Hulk Hogan uh, pinning uh, Stan Hansen with the Axe Bomber at 12.32. Uh, after a boot to the face. Um, at the beginning, Hulk comes down and knocks Mel Phillips uh, down and out. 
As this is becoming a, re- a reoccurring thing on the 24-inch podcast. Mel Phillips. Mel Phillips. Yeah, well, he's kind of a garbage type of a guy, right? Hulk, yeah, Hulk knocked him out last show with the match with Stud and Philly. Now now uh, the Lariat, Big Stan's knocking him over. Now here's some notes uh, from the History of Wrestling blog. So these are the opinions of that writer. Let's see what he says about the match. He says, from the Tokyo Dome, so you know shit is about to get real. Uh, there's no way Hanson will dog it in front of a Japanese crowd. Not only that, but Hogan felt the urge to actually wrestle when he was in Japan. He oh, went, this, guy's being, this guy's being a smart he's already. He's being a smart, yep. He went out of his way. That was quick. He went out of his way to wrestle. Going after drop toe holds and such, even if Hanson doesn't go along with it. Even though he's trying for it, that doesn't mean Hanson Hogan... doesn't go along with it. He was just in no holds barred. <laughs> For the love of God, he's not going to go along with it. <laughs> this is why I read this. I know you're just reading it, but holy shit. I picked this he's out. Just in a, 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 I know the movie didn't make a ton of money, but it's a major motion picture the guy just put you in a year ago. He's not going to put. He's not going to go along with it. Go ahead. All right. Uh, even though he's trying for it, it doesn't mean Hogan is any good at the technical stuff, but the, <laughs> the effort is appreciated. The simple fact of the matter is that Hanson isn't any good at technical stuff. So he, oh. he's resistant to that type of match. He wants a brawl. Hogan obliges, and Hanson gets busted open on the ring post. Alfred Hayes is so bad at commentary here. I totally disagree. No, what? What? Who is this guy? He, he this just is not one of our friends, right? No, I don't know him. Oh. He just doesn't understand the match or the crowd or Japan. It's but this a, guy, whoever's writing this, he, he does understand. Yep. But Alfred doesn't. A professional yep. wrestler for years. Okay. It's a, it's a pity they just didn't leave the Japanese commentary on it. The brawl gets crazier as the match goes, and at one point, Hogan throws Stanson into the press area and slams him through a table. I love that spot. Uh, yeah. H- Hogan is relentless and starts kicking Hanson in the face. It's beautiful. Sometimes Hogan should have just wrestled this way and not run his formula because he never oh. made any money with that. Yeah, uh, and, and, and get hurt on the first or second night doing that. Hanson gets some offense in, chair shots Hulk, and starts kneeing him in the face. That bloodies the champ, too, and both guys are bleeding heavily. It adds to the brutality of the match. Hogan sees the lariat coming, and Hanson dodges the leg drop in an almost exact copy of the spot used at WrestleMania 6. It was was 10 days prior, too. That's pretty cool. Hogan comes close with a crossbody and finishes with the axe bomber. Good match with loads of brutality. Two and a half stars. Two and a half. No, I'm I'm, I'm joshing you. He gave it three. I just wanted to say two and a half. Still stars. three. <laughs> wow. Oh. That is from the one of the reasons history why of I wrestling blog dot wordpress dot com. I run a mile three or four times a week. I'm still overweight, but I think the real reason why I have high blood pressure is because of things like that. I can't take it. All Unbelievable. Right. I turn it to you, Dave. Thoughts? Well, stars first, four and a half. This is an awesome match. And I remember when I rented the tape being like, I, I don't think I had seen uh, a Hulk. The Muda match didn't happen yet. And that was 93. Uh, I hadn't seen, I don't think I had seen anything that I've, besides in Pro Wrestling Illustrated and stuff like that, reading about it, seeing pictures. Uh, unless I'm forgetting something right now, I know I'm a little off tonight. I. Uh, I don't recall seeing it, so I was I was blown away by this match. And I knew that Stan Hansen was the guy from No Holds Bar, teeny wanger. You know, so I'm like, wow, like, you know, and I knew I knew him from AWA too in eighty five. 
86 with uh, Martel. So I was just like, wow, this is, this is insane. I remember thinking, like, is this guy going to come to the WWF? Like, this is going to be great. Whenever he comes, he's going to kick ass. You know, and he didn't. And, uh, no, I just, I've always been blown away by this match. You know, Hulk wrestling different. He almost at the time, without it being told to me, I could still kind of figure out why he was doing that there. And I knew he was doing the, the house shows they were doing, you know, so frequently that you can't wrestle that style every night without getting, you know, without hurting yourself when you're you're so important. You could go and sit in, in Howard Finkel, tell the crowd, hey, Billy Jack Haynes or the junkyard dog is hurt tonight. And even I hate to say this, Ricky Steamboat or Tito Santana is hurt tonight. We're going to have this guy replace him. If you do that with Hulk Hogan in from 1984 to 91, the show's canceled. You know what I mean? So you just, you can't do that. You cannot do that. Austin had The Rock. The Rock had Austin. Hogan didn't have, no. no. Maybe you start pushing it, 91, 92, there might have been some guys that were over enough to, to fill the void. But no. And, and, and that's why. And why do something if you don't have to do it? Make it special. And Hulk had great, wrestle, you know, he had great WrestleMania matches and stuff as well. But uh, blown away by this. Like I said, four, like four and a half. The match is awesome. This, this is my introduction to Hulk's Japan style, seeing it, you know, in front of me. You know, a couple of years down the line, we start going to conventions. I start getting tapes and stuff like that, seeing some of the other stuff from the early 80s and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, this is, this, this is great stuff. Phenomenal. And especially, I remember thinking, like, oh, I, did it say the date on there, 490 on, on the tape? Uh, I did have the date. Hold on. Let me get it. Keep talking. I'll get it for you. So I believe I said to myself while I was watching it, rending it in December 91, like, wow. 4-13-90. So it says it. So Hulk's pissed off about Ultimate Warrior. Right. He's pissed off, and that's why, he, that's why he's fighting like this. Like, that's what it said in, in my head and whatever friend I was watching at the time. Like, this guy's pissed. He just lost the title 13 days earlier, and now he missed a leg drop again, you know, in, in, in this match. And, you know, we recognized Stan Hansen from No Holds Barred and from AWA. And it was it was just it was something that we, that we talked about and just continued. to. Talk. We weren't talking about the general Adnan match on this tape, you know, or, or seeing WrestleMania 2 for the hundredth time. People were actually usually rent a Coliseum video, bring it back, and not say it, say anything about it. But we were talking about this match. Speaking, of, speaking of your friends, I want to give a shout out to Chet and everyone in the Braves Ooh. Nation. Um as we get ready for the NLCS, the Braves had a three-to-one lead in the NLCS last year and blew it against the Dodgers. And I remember thinking, it's so hard to get back to this point. And they've somehow, despite an injury to Ronald Acuna and an injury to Mike Soroka and a domestic violence issue for Ozuna and all the bad shit that's happened to this team this year, uh, being basically under 500 at the trade deadline, found a way to win the division and win the uh, the DS against the Brewers, and now they're in the uh, NLCS. So shout out to the Braves. As we record, we don't know if they're going to play the Dodgers or the Giants, one of the two, but they got back to where they were last year where they blew it, uh, 3-1 lead to the Dodgers, who went on to win the World Series. But shout out to Chet, uh, another Braves fan out in Jersey. Yes, and I'll be with Chet this Saturday as we're going to see Tommy Fierro at the Wrestling Collector Store, and his guest will be none other than Haku. Haku. Yeah, uh, so hopefully get some good Polaroids. As far as my grade, this was hard uh, because it isn't. We, we grade these against Hulk matches, right? And it's not like Hulk matches. 
That is true. You know, so you know how did I how do I grade it? And and I, you know what I decided to do was just grade it straight up, just straight up. What did you think of this match? And uh, I landed at four and a half stars. Um, not, That's where I was. Not quite five, uh, which I know is not going to make our friend and Elmira Fred happy. Uh, he's got it at five. I got a little well, below that, but I don't have a problem well, if you said it was five. I'd be like, okay, but to me, it's four and a half. I, Fred I see Nichols. better Hulk matches. Yeah. I just want to tell Fred Nichols, I'm right there with you, brother. I'm going four and a half because I'm only saving five for one or two things. Yep. Yep. You know, you, you can't just be throwing around five. Four and a half saying, hey, this is badass. This is great. This is perfect. Just about perfect. But five's got to be the whole deal where you're in. Besides it being great, you're watching it. You can't forget about it. It's stuck with you for years. This one did, but not like some of the, you know, a couple, one or two other things. You probably could. But I will say this: like if someone said to me, "This is my favorite Hulk match," I'd be like, "Okay, I could see that." Oh, you know what I mean? I could see that. So, if you have this as five, as your, you know, one or two or three matches. Well, like I said, I remember five. I get it. We're in sixth grade, and when I rented the tape, I remember like mo- renting most Coliseum videos, and basically it was the dark matches from 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 the house show, from the tapings with uh, Alfred and Sean Mooney doing the voiceovers. It was kind of just boring shit, quick like Undertaker Hulk match, like that. Like nothing really happens. I remember putting this in for friends that would come over, but like, hey, you got to watch this match. Just rent this tape. You got to watch this this Hulk Hogan match. And and my friends were, were blown away by it. Like wow, this is a really good match. Who's this guy? Who's this Stan Hansen guy? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, he, he was in No Holds Barred, Teeny Wangers, and, you know, he fought Rick Martell. Remember AWA on ESPN? They'd be like, yeah, kind of, you know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Very good. All right. Uh, with that said, let's take a break because waiting anxiously across from me right now is the lovely Paula Bennett. Paula Mania. Uh, who will be joining us after the break. So let's get to... The break and get to Paula. Dave? We'll be back, Jack. I am a real American. Fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American. Fight for what's right. Fight for your I do have some plugs. Don't forget, you can check out the Sportscasters podcast. It's at sports underscore casters uh, on Twitter, the sportscasters at gmail.com. I have a copy of the book, You Are Looking Live by Rich Podolsky, the story of how the NFL today revolutionized sports broadcasting, featuring the likes of Brent Musburger, Jimmy the Greek, Mike Francesa. They were all a part of that revolutionary program. You can email me. The Sportscasters at Gmail if you want a copy of that book. Uh, the latest episode of the Sportscasters featured interview with Sean McDonough, who's now PBP1 
on NHL broadcast on ESPN, which returned after a 17-year hiatus. Just last night, McDonough made his debut, and he explains to me how he ended up getting that job as the number one play-by-play man for hockey in the United States. Don't forget to check out Greetings from Allentown with our friend Peter Winston. You can find him at GF Allentown Pod on Twitter. Uh, he goes back and forth between his flagship show, Greetings from Allentown, and his two-man song, his two-man band with Keithy, uh, which is Greetings from Allentown Live. Check that out there. Dave, you listen to those every week, right? I do, just about every week, brother. Yep. Uh, the Place to Be Nation podcast, the flagship episode that will go up on October 18th, 11 o'clock or so, 10.30 on p.m. on the 18th. I will be hosting that show. Uh, with Justin and Scott and D'Amato and Winston may appear as well to take the field uh, with Justin, but you can look forward to that if you yeah. will. Yes, Paul. I'm really looking forward to that one. Do you remember the YouTube podcast? The YouTube podcast? That you were talking Speaking about? Speaking to your mic, which one was I talking about? Um, The YouTube one that you told me you're going to have to do what I need to help you with. Yeah. Yeah, what about it? I want to know about it. Oh, okay, yeah. On the sportscasters, we're going to have uh, a friend of mine from college who has a V, uh, a YouTube channel called Vsauce. And um, since Paula is really into YouTube, she's going to help me with that interview. We're going to do that probably after football season. Yep. And All I, right. I, can, I know a lot about YouTube. Yeah, Paula knows a lot about YouTube. Love YouTube, YouTube too, now. Paula. Yeah. I like YouTube. We watch YouTube every day. All right, Dave, what do we got? Well, let's start. Paula, do you have any emails today? How about your first email? What do you got? It looks like you got three on there. What's your first one? You don't know how to read? You don't know how to read your own notes? All right. I think you got one from my nephew, Gregory. All right. I can see it from here. It says, Dear Paula, Dave, and Steve, who is your all-time favorite wrestler besides Hulk Hogan? You can't say the Hulk. Okay. That's the easy question. I have a hundred. Okay. Let's narrow it down to one. Okay. Who's your favorite not named Hulk? Mm, Macho Man. Macho Man? Did that count? Yeah, that counts. He's not Hulk. But they become the mega powers. They do become the mega powers, but that's okay to to ask to answer Macho Man. It's a good it's a good pick. What about you, Dave? Very good pick. Yeah. Okay, well, mine are I'm gonna go go to a wrestler. But I love the personalities like Heenan, Oakland, sure. Monsoon, McMahon. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to count them. Jesse, you can count. You, yeah, Jesse, you can count them. But you know, they're, I, I like them for other reasons besides wrestling, right? So sure. let's not count them. But they're really number two. But this guy could be included with with that with that company, but also is known for wrestling. And my second favorite wrestler is Rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh, when I, I got into, I've mentioned here on the 24-inch podcast before, when I got into wrestling in the summer of 86, it was the big Hogan-Orndorff angle going on. But also, the other big angle going on was uh, Piper's uh, face turn with Adonis, Morocco, and Orton, uh, you know, going at it with those guys. So, you know, he was right there for me as, as a favorite. So, just kind of always hung on to the hot rod. And I always liked him as a person. He's definitely a great guy. And uh, I was very sad to lose him uh, back in 2015. So, hot rod's my answer. Well, I've always had the two favorites, right? Hulk and Ricky Steamboat. So, And I've always said this, that WrestleMania 3 is my show. Uh, Steamboat and Savage is my match. And that angle is my angle. I mean, I literally believe that the Macho Man 
uh, had crushed the larynx of Ricky Steamboat. And I felt that with my whole being and wanted nothing more than Steamboat to win the uh, the belt at WrestleMania 3. And he did. And then tragically, I watched him lose it in the uh, most tragic moment of my life at that point. Unbelievable. In the odd in June of uh, June of, of that month, 87. But um, had to be had to be in Buffalo when Bonnie made the phone Buffalo. call for him to come home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn you, Bonnie. All right. Uh, Dave, you got one now, right? A couple, yeah, a couple. Uh, we'll start off with the great uh, Kevin Hogan, number one fan of the 24-inch podcast, has a, his uh, weekly question for us, or bi-weekly question, whichever way you want to look at it. He says this, uh, Dave, Steve, watching the Hulk Hogan-Stan Hansen match really made me wonder about what could have been if Hansen had been in the WWF for longer. Are there any talents that never made it to the WWE that you would have liked to have on the roster, or any talents that you would have liked to have on the roster longer? This doesn't just have to be potential opponents for Hogan. Good one. You want to go first, Steve? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the names that jump out to me are Arn and Tully. You know, because we really only got that one year of them staying together the whole year. Uh, and there were so many great tag matches. And I talked about a few of them on my different episodes of the 24-inch podcast, or the, the uh, Place to Be Nation podcast. Um, and I would have liked to have seen them longer in the company to separate, to come back, to... Turn yeah, on people, with, whatever. When so, Flair, show, Flair shows up too, yeah, That's they cool. they come to mind for sure. Those two guys, I would have liked longer with them, and throw Shivani in with them. Those three because they kind of came in and left kind of around the same time. Would have been nice if all yeah. three would have stayed longer. All right, brother. Uh, I'm going to go with two guys. I'm going to make mention that one was there in the Bruno, Bruno days, and then maybe in a little bit in the early '80s, and one guy wasn't there at all. My first pick is uh, Bruiser Brody. I think uh, would have been a great opponent for Hogan, even though you said it doesn't have to be Hogan opponents. Uh, I just think, you know, his his look and everything, as a WWF would have tamed him down, I'm sure, a bit. But I still think he would have been a scary, scary heel for us kids in, in the 80s, you know, taking on the Hulkster, taking on, you know, all the, the great uh, faces, even a bit of great opponent for Andre when Andre was still a face as well. Uh, second one, not to keep you here all day, would be Abdullah the Butcher. Another guy, you know, scary, mm. scary, scary. Wrestling Hulk and MSG in 1987 would have been, you know, right on par with the Kamala matches, if not even better. So, uh, yeah, Bruce Brody, Abdullah the Butcher. I mean, we, we could sit here and, uh, you know, write a book, keep thinking of guys, but um, those are mine. Good ones, good ones. All right, what's next? Okay, next we got the iconic Tim Mangione, who's feeling much better, back back to his old self. Look out! A hundred Facebook posts a day with his face in him. But uh, we wouldn't have it any other way, Tim. We love you. Uh, he has a couple quick questions. Uh, first of all, this is a very good question. I for- totally forgot about this. On the Coliseum videos at the end of them, not not the ones from the mid-'80s. This was more in the early-'90s, 1991. Lord Alpha will come on and say, if you have any requests or anything, write to Coliseum video blah, 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 in Fairfield, New Jersey. And Tim wants to know, so basically this is just a question for me because, you know, you, 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 you live too far away. Tim wants to know if I ever wanted, wanted to drive by or did drive by there. Um, no, Tim, and I'm, that, that actually catches me by surprise that I didn't do that. I, Fairfield is very close to me. It's about a half-hour ride. I have some friends in Fairfield. But uh, when I was 10 years old, it might not have, the name Fairfield might not have meant much to me. Yeah, it just didn't cross so your may- mind to do it. Yes, yeah, so maybe later on I would have. And uh, however, though, I did, my parents did drive me to LJN headquarters 
in uh, New York, in Manhattan in uh, 1987. You know, for some reason, we thought maybe that we could, I don't know, get the new wrestling figures at their office. I don't know what we're thinking. I guess my pa- we were in New York already, and my parents just humored me by doing it. But I did get, like, a... a like a flyer with the wrestler, new wrestling names that are coming out soon. And I remember said Jimmy Snuka had been discontinued and stuff. So, you know, we didn't come out of there empty handed. If it was now, but, they uh, would have a storefront. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't even think they had a, I don't even know if like the rainbow LJN thing was even out there. I think we just knew it somehow. I think maybe just said like LJN LTD on there or something, but that brought that to mind. <clears throat> Paul, you got another email? All right, well, why don't you get in your spot? Because it's your turn. You're being a nut. All right, oh, look at I got one on your sheet here from Tammy. I know her. That's interesting. So Tammy sends Paula and Dave and I a question. Um, she wants to know. All right, this is a good question from her. She says, hey, guys, as you know, Paula's school is having a trick, a trunk or treat celebration later this month. And Paula's decided that she wants our trunk to be an 80s wrestling-themed trunk or treat. Wow. Now, this question is not just for you guys, but the listeners, too. What ideas do you have that could enhance our trunk or treat? Dave, Paula, Steve, you can throw some ideas out. And if there's any listeners who have an idea for the trunk or treat, let us know. Go ahead, Paula. What do wow. you got to say about that? Talking to the mic. Can I pick who um, gets a start because of my trunk Sure. Treat? Okay, well, I've come up with a bunch of ideas for it already. Uh, One is we're going to be playing on a monitor the Saturday Night's Main Event Halloween special on there. We already came up with that idea. We're going to have all the wrestlers that we have, all our LJNs and our um, Hasbros set up in different spots. uh What else did we already think of, Paul? Um, Wrestling music. Yep, we're going to play some wrestling theme music. Kind of like how people would play Thriller. Uh, we're going to be playing, you know, Real American. You guess well, you could play like the scary ones, like Kamala and The Undertaker. Yeah. Stuff. That could work, too. Or Jake's. Mm, we can't Jake's. do anything too creepy. <laughs> can't do anything too creepy? All right. I have an, I- Jay, I have an, an idea, idea for you guys. Sure. Yeah, maybe, um, you know, where you lift the trunk up there, throw some uh, red, white, and blue rope across like yep. a ring and puts put spider webs spider webs all over the ropes what we're doing is we got um what are they called uh noodles those noodles like in a pool pool noodles yeah exactly we're using those as like ring posts okay and then we're gonna you know put them on each side of the trunk i guess and then put the ropes across to make the trunk kind of a ring you know and then inside the ring will be the monitor and the wrestlers and the um and i'm gonna wear a hulk hogan costume <laughs> Love and, it. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be pretty good. So if any of the listeners have any ideas for that, you can email. Actually, it'd be easier for me if you email me the sportscasters at gmail.com. Yes, Paul. And what? what sorry. One. What's that? Um, we can show a little bit of us. In yeah. The trunk. Of course. We're going to throw Paul in the trunk, too. Because that's scary enough. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Someone comes by and sees her. It's be like, whoa, oh no, what's that thing? <laughs> oh, okay. All and what right. is the date? What is the date of this? Uh, it's at the end of the month, sometime. A couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I'll probably I'll probably be giving you a lot more ideas. You you just hit me with this now. With yeah. The, you know, here yeah. in the emails. Yep. Everyone can so email any, any ideas we have. That's a good question from Tammy. All right, Dave, what do you got next? Very cool. 
Uh, one more uh, from Tim. Tim uh, is a big fan of uh, the franchise Shane Douglas, and he wants to know. Uh, Tim likes to ask me the same questions over and over about once or twice a year, so I'm sure I've answered this one before in person. But he wants to know why he didn't make it in uh, WWF, what happened each time. Uh, I'll try to explain it quickly. Uh, 86, he was in there as a jobber. Dominic DiNucci uh, sent in some guys he was training under the name of Mike Kelly. He did some jobs on TV in 86, maybe even into 87. Then he returned. He went to w, you know, He was in WCW in the late 80s and returned to uh, the WWF in uh, 1990 when he wore the orange trunks as just regular Shane Douglas. He was in the 91 Royal Rumble. He was on a lot of the MSG house shows. He was like a lower mid-card guy. He did pretty well. But uh, he actually liked that run there. Uh, he was, They were going to repackage him to become a rock star, like a hair metal. I don't like that term, hair metal. Like an 80s hard rock uh, singer. And Jimmy Hart was helping him, you know, uh, with, with these songs they were making and stuff. And they were about to debut the gimmick, I guess, sometime in 91. And um, it was a Bon Jovi gimmick. That, that's the term they use, Bon Jovi. Uh, they are both to uh, debut the gimmick. And uh, uh, Douglas's father was, was sick. So, uh he left, and Vince said, you know, you're welcome back to come back whenever you want. And uh, then, you know, obviously he was in uh, WCW, and then a big run his franchise in uh, ECW. Then he did return in 95 as Dean Douglas as uh, the professor. It looked like the vignettes were really cool when he was on the blackboard, being a heel, you know, the bad guy teacher. But only lasted a couple months. He had a lot of heat uh, with the click, you know, the Shawn Michaels and his friends. And uh, it just didn't work out. The payoffs were probably terrible in 95 as well, so... He went back to ECW there. So there's a history of the uh, WWF-Shane Douglas relationship, uh, Tim. Hope you enjoyed it. You know anything, anything to add, Steve? I have a Shane Douglas story. I told everyone awesome. that yeah, I uh, would always go to the ECW events in Buffalo. Um, that we had a really cool venue, and it was actually in the city. Uh, and we would go all the time. And um, one thing that we would do is we would go to this kind of hole in the wall not one of the more famous chicken wing places that's kind of near there we would go there a lot before the show and eat wings and have a few and then go over to the show uh because also like even when we were underage this place was run by children so like mm. you know they just i don't know if they didn't care or didn't know or what but it was there was really lax rules there you know it would cool. it, it doesn't exist anymore i mean obviously <laughs> they, they were uh Potentially, potentially a, a front of some kind, but they had amazing wings. So we would go there, and uh, one night um, we were there around maybe six, five, six, whatever, and Shane Douglas and one of the referees and um, Francine, I think, one of the girls. Yeah, wow. yeah that was his manager. Yeah, Francine, Shane Douglas, and one of the referees came in. And they were like standing around trying to figure out what you do at this place. And you're like, hey, man, you getting wings. And he's like, yeah, you know, how should we get them? Hot, medium, mild, whatever. And then he like tried one of ours to see if hot was too hot for him. And it wow. was. And uh, they ended up getting like 100 wings medium and taking them out and back to the show. And they're like, oh, they checked if we had tickets. And uh, we were like, oh, yeah, we got tickets. So if we didn't, I assume he would have probably hooked us up. And he's Very like, cool. all right, see you over there. Like, all right, see you over there. And we, that was it. Awesome. But, yeah. That's a great story, man. He's a, he's a really nice guy. I've, I've had interactions with him at the conventions. He's very, very, very knowledgeable uh, about you know, wrestling and the inner workings and stuff like that. Just all around. I'm a fr uh, fan of uh, the franchise, and I'm happy we got to talk about him here.
Yeah, my friends were like, after we were like, oh, maybe we should have said we shouldn't, we didn't have tickets because maybe the tickets he had would have been really good. And then it's like, it would have well, been, it go either way with comps. Yeah. Sometimes you get comps and you're the best thing in the world. And sometimes you're like, oh, what the hell? I got this from, you know, a big name and they're but over, over here. Then we were like, yeah, but it's ECW at the flick. Like every seat's good. You know what I yeah. mean? So. When you're talking to, a, you know, to us, that's a celebrity. Uh, sometimes you just, you say the wrong, you know, you're just a quick conversation you're not expecting to, you don't think of everything to say correctly, you know. And I think we were the only ones there who knew him. Yeah, you know, it was the crowd wasn't. It was close to the Flickinger Center, but not like, you know, where everyone's in the place before because they're going to the other place. It's not. It wasn't that. I mean, it was still. We still had to get in our car and drive over. But for whatever reason, someone must have told them. I think he said that that someone told them these were the best wings, so that's why they came. I saw the honky tonk man at McDonald's once, and you know, outside the garden. <laughs> oh, son of a bitch. No real story though. Cheater, big son <laughs> yeah. of a bitch and cheater. Oh yeah, that's, that's your guy, uh, Buffalo. He held the ropes. He was holding the ropes. Shouldn't have counted. But, all right, what else? Let's Better to be lucky than good, McMahon. All right, we got other things to do tonight. What else is? What, what else do we got? Uh, we it? have to tell you about next time. Okay, what's up next time, Dave? Time for next time already. Time's just moving by fast. Well, like we said, Steve's got the big trunk or treat coming up at the end of the month. He's going to be playing something on that TV, and while he's watching that TV, he's going to be taking notes because that's the show we're going to be covering, the 24-inch podcast Halloween special coming at your way in just about around two weeks from now. Uh, the Saturday night's main event, November 2nd, 1985. All Halloween themed. Uh, we're not just going to be focusing on Hulk's opponents this time. We're going to be focusing on all the matches, all the activities, the pumpkin dunk contests, the Land of a Thousand Dances videos, Miss Elizabeth's outfit. Yeah, we're, we're going to really, really go through the show like we would normally go through the match. You know, we're going to go take our time and go through the show that way. Yeah. It, w- it was taped on Halloween night, 1985, in Hershey Park Arena at the Hershey In Hershey, Pennsylvania, it was aired two nights later, November 2nd, and it's one of our favorites, and Polo's as well. Yep, and uh, I have some stories about the Hershey Arena. I was an employee there for a week, working at a hockey school there, and I met uh, the the guy who was like our liaison to the arena, had been there since the 1960s. Um, So this was in the early 2000s, so he had been there for about 40 years. Um, and he knew all about this night and the WWF there in general. So I have a few stories I can share about that from him. Very cool. Looking forward to that one. All right. With all that said, then, all I need to ask everyone out there to do is to say your prayers, eat your vitamins, and tell your friends about the 24-inch podcast. Boo! Brother! Ti amo! Bookie, you're going (laughs) to...